say now, don't you? Ready? One, two, three. Hey, Jude. Here we go. We're looking at the book of Jude. And so turn in your Bibles with me. And boy, I'll tell you, Jude is so profound, and I, I can't tell you what a blessing it is for me to study it, to get ready for these uh, messages on Wednesday nights. Jude is so profound, and I love the Word of God. I, the Word of God, you know, I, I concluded a long time ago, if I could live to be a million and preached every week, I still would not begin to exhaust what is in this Word. It is just an infinite source of uh, light and spiritual nourishment and revelation and illumination uh, on the person and the glory of God and His purpose and His will and all. Oh, you know, it's so good. So tonight, as always, we're going to stand and read the first verse, and then we're going to get right into it. And I call this tonight, Uninvited Guests. Uninvited Guests. Anybody in here ever had one? Uninvited Guests. All right. Let's read it together, can we? Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts. Shine on us, Lord, that we might see what you're saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Well, you know, I, I would hate to have God say woe over me. Woe over me. Because when God says woe, it's a heavy woe. Woe. Now, Jude has already begun to really nail these false teachers. I want you to notice that uh, they, they felt towards false teachers, that is, those who skewed or perverted or misrepresented sound doctrine, they treated them, they felt towards them like they were worse than lepers. I mean, they really excoriated these people. And we're going to see tonight that Peter felt the same way. And we know John felt the same way because we all went through 1 John together. And John wrote 1 John for the sole purpose of answering the Gnostics who were teaching false doctrine in his day. Well, now here comes Jude, and 2 Peter did the same thing. We're going to see that 2 Peter sounds uncannily like Jude in just a little bit. But they just felt this righteous indignation at people who would uh, uh, twist the sound doctrine, the sound teaching of the Scriptures. I'm going to tell you something, folks. When you pick up this Bible, it is, it is precious cargo, it's precious cargo. This is the Word of the living God, and it is precious cargo. You know, Kathy used to say to me when we were, uh, when we would drive on vacation with the kids or something, she would say, does everybody have their seatbelt on? i say, I think so. And she said, well, we better know so because we've got in the back seat precious cargo. Well, we hold in our hands precious cargo right here. This is the eternal Word of the living God given to us by revelation, by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who moved on holy men of old, who were carried along or borne along by the Holy Ghost and wrote down what He moved on them to say. Not like automatic writing, like they were robots, but they were carried along by a power that was above them and beyond them, 
the power of the Holy Ghost. And they wrote by inspiration of God so that every word is outbreathed by God. So it's precious cargo. Now, when we read something like Jude, we look at this. We got to understand that when Jude lets loose on these people and just rakes them over the coals, it's not Jude. Not ultimately. It's what the Holy Spirit moved on him to say about them. So God is very protective of his word. I mean, God is very protective of what he said in this Bible. So to twist it, skew it, that's why in the end of the book of Revelations, we are told anyone who messes with, takes away from, or adds to the words of this book will have added to them the plagues that were written about in this book. God is extremely protective. That's why it's important for us as believers to really understand the Scriptures because they are holy in the sense that they were given to us by a holy God. Now, I don't worship this word, but here's what I do with this word. I, I bow my life to this word. I stake my life on this word. I follow this word as my guide for this life. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so I don't worship it. I worship the God of the word. But I do bow my life to this word. So when we read the way he's about to let loose on these people, keep in mind that this is what God the Holy Ghost moved on him to express towards this whole thing of misrepresenting his word. He takes it very seriously. Now, when he said woe, it means in the Greek, woe. Denunciation. When he said woe to them, he is denouncing them. That's what woe means in the Greek language. He's denouncing them. Now, he says woe to them for they have gone in the way, the way. Now, the Bible uses that little word way a lot. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And so what does way mean? Way is a road, a path. In our text, it means a course of conduct, a manner of thinking, feeling, and deciding. The way that you take David said in the Psalms, he said, he knows, or Job said this, he knows the way that I take, that when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. See, God not only knows our names, he not only knows where we live, but God knows our ways. We all have ways. We all have courses of conduct, ways that we think about things, feeling and deciding. We all have a worldview. We all have certain paths that we take in our life. I've told you so much about my dogs, you're probably sick of hearing about them. But I got to tell you, I've noticed something. My, even my dogs have a way. They have a way. You go out in my backyard and you'll see several little paths that have been cut in the, in the grass by their feet going this direction and that direction in my yard. But there is one main one. And this main one leads to the fence where they can look out front and bark at people going by and just be dogs. But that one path, they hit it as soon as they go out the door. 
And it's the other paths they take secondarily and thirdly. The first one they go down is this one that hooks around the house and leads to the front where they can bark and be dogs. And I don't know what they do. Me and Kathy have talked about it. Why do they go down that way? We studied it, and it must be a dog thing because as humans, we see nothing special about the way they take. But they do. So there is a path that even my dogs, when you look, you can tell what they favor most. You can tell what they have prioritized. Humans are the same way. He says, we all have a way in all of your ways acknowledge him. So any path you take in life, you ought to be acknowledging God, which just means to acknowledge his presence and his lordship over your life and say, now, what do you think about this way I'm going? It says, ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. So, so there's really something to this way idea. So, as my dogs have one main way, we ought to, if somebody were to look into our spiritual life and we could just draw a metaphor from my backyard, if somebody were to look at our life and our life was a yard, what path would be the most cut in our life? What would be the most trodden? What would be the most well-worn way? Would it be? prayer, seeking God, spending time in His Word? Would it be chasing after money, chasing after carnal things, chasing after… Everybody chases something. Everybody. So what would, what would our way reveal? Well, he's saying about these false teachers, here, their path, the path they have chosen, the course of conduct, the manner of thinking, feeling, and deciding, that way is the way of Cain. They have chosen the way that Cain chose. Well, what in the world was Cain's way? Well, the Schofield Bible speaks of Cain as the type of a religious natural man who believes in a God and in religion, but after his own will, and who rejects redemption by blood. Now, I want you to hear me for a second, so don't look up there. Listen to this now. Cain's way... The path that was cut in his life, the most well-trodden road, was that of rejecting God's way of redemption. Because God told the first family way back in the ancient Garden of Eden, He showed them the way to have your sin covered is by the shedding of blood. The first time that God approached them after they had sinned, He gave them animal skins to cover themselves. That's purely metaphorical. They felt ashamed because they had sinned, not because they were naked, because they had sinned. So God said, here's the deal, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you right now, and I'm going to show you all through the Old Testament that the only way to cover sin is by blood. So he slew an animal and covered them with its skin. And what was he saying? I want you to understand, Adam and Eve and first family, that sin is covered by blood. Well, here's Cain and Abel. Okay, got it, heard it, understand it. Guarantee you, Adam shared it. They all knew it. The first family knew this. So the day came when Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord. No doubt in my mind it was a sin offering. They were bringing something to God to cover their sin. So it says that Abel brought 
a slain animal, a lamb, and offered it to God. Here's what he was saying. I got it. The only way my sin is covered is by the shedding of blood. Here is my offering. And God said, received, and you are righteous. And it says God was pleased with his offering. Now, here stood Cain off in the distance, not far off, and he watches this. Well, here's what he brings to God. He brings God a vegetable offering, just brings him vegetables. God basically said, I'm not a vegetarian. I want the shedding of blood. You don't shed blood by veggies. Uh, You want to be a vegetarian? Fine, but I'm not one. I need, and, and the whole reason that I'm being adamant about this is because you've got to understand that the day is going to come, I'm going to send the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. And so I'm going to start teaching you way back in primal, primeval history. I'm going to start showing you, preparing you, getting you ready so that when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shows up, you already fully understand the whole concept of sin being covered by blood. You're primed for it. And it says that he, became, that he rejected Cain's offering, and Cain became angry. And God comes to him and says, what are you angry about? He said, if you do right, your offering will be received. Well, what did he mean, do right? If you'll bring me an animal offering. It's got to be Cain, the shedding of blood. And the whole murder, the first murder of Abel by Cain was hatched in, in the nest of trying to come to God on your own terms. I can hug a tree and get to God. I can go to Buddha and get to God. I can be a Christian scientist and get to God. I can get to God any other way, many other ways than Jesus Christ. I can still get to God. And God is going to say to those people the same thing he said to Cain. I don't receive your offering. See, folks, the only thing that God's going to hear from anybody when we go up to meet him is, did you accept my son? Oh, I accepted your son just as I am without one plea. Here I am. Lamb of God, I come to thee. We only have one way out, the blood of the Lamb of God that God was prepping us for all the way back to the first family. So the way of Cain is, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to reach God on my own terms. In other words, the way of Cain is total rebellion against God. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you say to God, I do not accept your way, I'll come my way, you're going to be rejected at the end of time, and he will say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. And you may not like that. It may seem narrow, and you're right, it is narrow. It may seem unfair. Oh, it's so completely and totally not unfair because God gave his only begotten son so that we could be delivered and set free and forgiven. It is so unfair to God, not us. So these false teachers chose the way of Cain. When such a person, these false teachers, is asked to explain the atonement, he or she will explain it away. And then I wrote, for me, the way of Cain is the attempt to achieve righteousness on one's own terms, to reach God by one's own methods. 
and to utterly reject the cross as Cain utterly rejected approaching God with a blood offering. That's the way of Cain. That's the way of Cain. Now look, we're going out. Look, it says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. What does the word gone mean? It means to take one's way, to set out, to go on a journey. In this verse, it means to follow one or to become his adherent. The false teachers Jude is denouncing had become followers of Cain by thinking, feeling, and making decisions as he did. You know, you know who you are tonight in light of the fact that you're a Christian? You're followers of Abel. You've gone in the way of Abel and instead of going in the way of Cain. But I've got to tell you, folks, our culture is loaded with people who have gone in the way of Cain. But thank God we went the way of Abel, which was the blood sacrifice, the only blood sacrifice that God will receive. Amen? Now, the error of Balaam was that reasoning from their natural minds, I'm assuming you remember the story of Balaam and how he was asked to curse the children of Israel. And the error of Balaam, it says he, they've also gone after the error of Balaam, was that reasoning from their natural minds and seeing the evil in Israel, he supposed that a righteous God must curse them. Balaam looked at Israel and he saw that they were not walking in the righteousness of God. They were not being obedient to God. So he assumed they were curseable. Can everybody say with me, curseable? I just coined that. I've never heard it. Curseable. Well, I think you're curseable. Go ahead and tell somebody. They won't know what you're talking about. You can get away with it. But see, Balaam thought that the children of Israel, because they were not obeying God, he was looking at it in the natural. And stay with me now because this, is, this happens all the time in the church. He was looking at them in the natural and he said this to himself. Well, they're not walking with God anyway. And I've been made all these promises that if I'll curse them, the king is going to make me rich. And so they're curseable. I can curse them because they're not walking with God anyway. But what was the error then of Balaam? What was the error of Balaam? He was blind to the higher law of the cross through which God maintains and enforces the authority of his word so that he can be just and the justifier of a believing sinner. In other words, Balaam did not discern that Israel, though imperfect, was under God's forgiveness and therefore blessed. He cursed a forgiven people as so often happens in the church today. See, this happens in the church all the time. We'll see somebody walking uh, in some disobedience or they'll stumble, mess up, sin. And then when they repent and come back, there are people who sit there and curse them. They curse them, thinking, well, they weren't walking in obedience and they're, and they're not perfect and they're still kind of questionable. So they, they, just, they, they make like a good Pharisee and they curse them. But here's what you cannot do, folks. You can't look at people with the natural eye. Do you know that Paul said, I have known no man after the flesh? You know what he means by that? I don't judge people by fleshly standards. I see people through the eyes of the cross. Now, y'all listen. Perk up. Are you with me? Say, I'm thinking. See, we look at people 
and we say, well, they're not really walking an obedient life, and, and I just don't think they're measuring up, and so we curse them. We write them off, we reject them, we make them feel unwelcome in church, and we don't know whether or not God has forgiven them. What was the deal with Balaam? His error was he judged Israel by the eyes of the flesh and not through the eyes of the cross of God having forgiven his people and still being with his people. So when he cursed Israel, he cursed a forgiven people. And God judged him for it. That's the error of Balaam. So the error of Balaam was judging people after the flesh. And how, how easy is it to do that? That is so easy to do. Well, I just don't think they're walking right. I just don't think they're living up. They're not walking the way I walk, bless God. I fast twice a week. You know, I read the Word every day. I'm up at the crack of dawn seeking God. I'm so glad that I'm beyond them. But in God's eyes, if they're forgiven, they're right there with you. But see, the error of Balaam was to judge people after the flesh and then curse them. Now, you got to be careful who you curse because you could curse somebody who's not only forgiven but anointed and get in real trouble with God. So, Balaam did it for profit, the Bible says. And profit may not be speaking of money here, but it might be speaking about popularity or applause. To get along with the majority. If everybody else is cursing, well, I might as well curse them too. But you do know about the lemming, don't you? You know about the lemming, that little mouse-like creature called the lemming? And every year, I forget what country, I think it might be Scotland, I can't remember. I mean, herds of thousands and thousands and thousands of these little rodent-looking creatures called lemmings will just walk off a cliff by the thousands and plummet to their death. By the thousands. They do it every year. Now the Bible says God gave us the things we can see to teach us things we can't see. So what do I learn looking at the lemming? I learn the majority is not always right. <laughs> Hello? Well, John's walking off the cliff. Bill's walking off the cliff. There goes Sue. There goes Sarah. I might as well do it too. That's brilliant. I want to tell you, the majority is not always right. As a matter of fact, a lot of times the majority is totally wrong, and it's a minority who are right. So Balaam might have been cursing them to gain popular favor with this foreign king and the people, but boy, did he mess up. It says, ran greedily means to pour out. Now, it's talking about these false teachers. They have run greedily. It means to pour out. Ran is in a verb tense that means those who give themselves up to a thing, rushing headlong into it. One commentator writes, a strong expression indicating a reckless, abandoned devotion of energies. So when it says they run greedily after the error of Cain, it means a wandering, a straying about, whereby somebody having been led astray from the right way roams here and there, hither and thither. He said there comes a time, folks, when if you, if you 
fiddle with something, if you flirt with something, if you walk around the edges of something long enough, if you dance around the flames long enough, the day will come when you plunge headlong into it. And that's what he's saying these false teachers did. They, they finally just totally gave themselves over to this false teaching. Just sold out to it. Committed their lives to it. Balaam went wrong because he allowed himself to hanker after gain and he lost communion with God. He not only went wrong himself, but he abused his great influence and his reputation as a prophet to lead astray the Israelites by drawing them away from the holy worship of Jehovah to the impure worship of Baal. God help us. So these false teachers, Judah's telling us, used their prophetic gifts for the purpose of self profit. Well, I'm so glad that doesn't happen today. Hallelujah. You know, having a gift is, is, a, is a sobering, humbling, little bit of a spooky thing. Because you can take a gift and it's going to work. Whether you're using it for evil or you're using it for good, it's going to work. It's going to work. God called me to use words. And I'm going to tell you, there was a time in our marriage that God so convicted me about using words for a wrong purpose. Because I could defeat Kathy verbally. I could just pummel her verbally. And one day I did it. And of course, I always walked away saying, bless God, I was right. And one day we had a fight before I was going to go and we like to call it a, a hearty disagreement before I was going to go preach. And I, I never knew, I never understood. She would say to me, I can't win with you. Here's the way I interpreted that. I'm right. That's why you can't win. <laughs> so this one night when I was going to go preach, um, she couldn't go with me for some reason. It was at this little church there in East Texas and it's really a kind of a funny story, but I, I, uh, we had a, a disagreement, and I just, I just prosecuted verbally. Got into the car, peeled out, and as I was going down the driveway, I said to God, God, would you please convict her? <laughs> now, I know some of you have never done that, but most of you, but I did. And Mr. Self-Righteous driving down the highway thinking that I was completely right. And I was dry, had to go through a couple of East Texas towns to get where I was going. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came in the car. And he said this to me. This is really true. He said, do you want to be blessed tonight? I said, sure. He said, you better pull over to a payphone and call her. I said, I'm not calling her. She needs to call me. And God said, if you go without calling her, your words are going to be dead. And I pulled over, pulled up to a payphone, said, well, I'll just do it to obey God. I'm still right. And I dialed the phone, and she picked it up. I said, hey. And she said, well, it's about time you called. <laughs> and I said, Kathy, I'm sorry. And she said, that's okay. I forgive you. You forgive me? Well, I forgive you. And all of a sudden, there was the Holy Spirit. 
But God ministered to me on the way to that church that night that he said, Jeff, you're not fair. And I said, what do you mean I'm not fair? Now, this is really what he ministered to me. You're not fair. Why? Why? He said, because your gift from me for my purposes is words. That's not my gift to her. And you're badgering her, pummeling her, using your gift in a wrong way when it comes to Kathy and probably others. And I said, amen. That's true. And so I've always been sensitive about it since then. I'll catch myself. There you go, being the prosecutor, being the lawyer, being Mr. Verbal. Just shut up. Just shut up. And there was this thing in me that just wanted to be right. And I had to die to that. Say, it doesn't matter if I'm right, because you can win a battle and lose a war. You can win all the arguments, but nobody wants to be around you anymore. So this is what, this is what he did. Baal used, or not Baal, I'm sorry, Balaam. Balaam used his prophetic gift for evil. Now, whatever your gift is from God, if it's organization, if it's management, if it's teaching, if it's it, whatever it happens to be, that gift is probably going to be fairly overpowering. And so you've got to be careful that you keep it sanctified for the master's use and not for your own selfish motives. Because it's going to work in either direction. And that had nothing to do with this lesson tonight. That's free. I might have saved you a couple of thousand dollars in counseling fees. I, I, I can save you a couple of thousand real easy. Just shut up. Just be quiet. If, 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 if you're right and they're wrong, let them be right. Just say, okay, you're right. It's not worth the fight. Boy, I'm getting transparent in my old age. But this is all true. This is all true. Your gift is going to be formidable, whatever it is that God gave you. All right? So these false teachers use their prophetic gifts for the purpose of self-profit and endeavor to make their services attractive by excluding from religion all that is strenuous and difficult and opening the door to every kind of indulgence. The way of Cain, folks, hear me on this one, the way of Cain was to exclude the blood. Let us be careful to never lower ourselves to holding services that exclude the blood in order to gain worldly popularity. I know of churches, there is a whole church movement. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You probably know what it is. And their philosophy is, well, don't do anything that's going to step on people's toes. Don't offend anybody, especially the lost. And so they don't mention sin. They don't mention the cross. They don't mention atonement. They don't mention repent. They don't mention any of those things. And I get concerned that that's kind of going a little bit too close to the way of Cain for me. Because the way of Cain is to exclude the blood. I don't want to be popular with the world. I want to be very popular with heaven. The sin of Korah is, is another thing. It says these false teachers had involved themselves in the sin of Korah. What was the sin of Korah? The denial of the authority of Moses as God's chosen spokesman. 
an intrusion into the priest's office that was not his calling. Likewise, these false teachers denied the authority of Christ. Rebellion is better translated gainsaying, and that means to speak against. As Korah walked up to Moses and Aaron and said, who do you think you are? We hear God too. Moses said, really? Praise the Lord. Well, you and all your families meet us outside the tent tomorrow morning. And they said, you bet, and we'll let God answer this. Well, they came the next morning, gathered outside the tent. Moses got on his face. The ground began to quake. It opened up. It swallowed Korah and his rebel friends whole and closed back up. Because they, they had not recognized the authority of God on Moses. And they challenged his, his place in God. That's the sin of Korah. So you, these false teachers, they had no respect for any authority. So one way or another, the ground will open up on them too. Translation, can we read it together? Woe to them, because in the way of Cain they took their way. And to the error of Balaam, they abandoned themselves for a reward. And in the gainsaying of Korah, they perished. All right, we're moving along. We're almost done. Let's read this together, can we? These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit. The word spots comes from a Greek word, spilos. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word is used, just like that, spilos. You're not going to find it any other place in the New Testament quite like the way Jude used it. This is it. It means literally hidden rocks. Peter sounds remarkably like Jude when he uses a similar word, not the same exact word, but similar. Let's read this. Talking about false teachers, but these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots, there it is, they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. That's Peter, not Jude, talking about uninvited guests to his listeners. All right, let's talk about this word just for a minute. Since this word was used but once in the New Testament in the way Jude used it, we can look elsewhere in ancient writings and find that its meaning was not what you might think. Homer, in his Iliad and Odyssey, who wrote his Iliad and Odyssey in Greek, he used it this way, quote, the waves dashed the ship against the rocks, spilos. The waves dashed the ship against the rocks. The same Greek word as spots in Jude, Homer used for rocks or translated rocks. So these false teachers were no longer just blots or like an ugly zit, okay? It's more serious than that. But they were objects of danger and shipwreck hidden rocks beneath the surface of your meetings hidden rocks beneath the surface of your meetings your love feasts your care meetings your your fellowship gatherings and if you encounter them and listen to them and follow them it's like the ship of your faith is going to hit rocks underneath the water and be destroyed they were destructive i was in east texas for seven years and i used to go over to my friend george teskey's 
Christian retreat center that was on Lake Fork. And one day, me and George were outside just talking about things and fellowshipping. We heard this powerful bass boat. I mean, this thing was just roaring down towards George's place in Lake Fork. And we could tell this guy was opened up and going full speed ahead, probably 50, and then all, about 50, 60 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden we heard, a wham! And nothing. Well, George, me and George, we jumped into his boat, ran out there to where this was, and here's two guys floating around in the water looking dazed and confused, beer cans all over the lake. George drove up to him, and George goes, what happened? <laughs> and one of them went, well, we hit a stump we didn't see. George said, oh. He said, tell you what, we're Christians. If you'll let us tell you about Jesus, we'll take you to the shore. <laughs> it's a true, true story. So they kind of looked at each other like, are we in a twilight zone or what? But they got in. And we took him to shore, and sure enough, here's George. Here, did you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? He died for your sins. How long you fellows been drinking beer like this? All this stuff. Well, what had happened was they were blasting down the lake, and underneath was a stump. And they hit that stump that they didn't see. That's what these false teachers are like. They're in your meetings. They're, they're infiltrating the church. They'll get in pulpits and teach, but they don't believe like you think they do. And if you listen to them long enough, it's like you hit a stump. And it destroys you. It stops you in your tracks. Love feasts were fellowship meals eaten by the Christians when they came together for worship. Very similar to one of our home care meetings. It was eaten at the local church, which in the first century was always in a person's home. Church buildings didn't exist until much later. So when Paul talks about local churches in the New Testament, it's always somebody's home. Feast means to feast sumptuously with someone. In other words, chow down. They're chowing down with you and your fellowship meals. And it says they're doing it without fear, which means these false teachers had no conscience problem at all with participating in the fellowship of evangelical believers posing as Christians when in fact they were not. Serving only themselves. It's better translated feeding themselves, and the word feeding means to feed or tend a flock of sheep. It is used of shepherds feeding their flocks. So Jude is telling us that these false teachers were shepherds that fed themselves by furthering their own schemes and lusts instead of tending the flock of God. Clouds without water, literally clouds that are waterless. Carried about means to carry alongside. One commentator says, as clouds which seem to be charged with refreshing showers but are borne past us, pass overhead and yield no rain. That's a description of something that looks promising but never delivers. That's these false teachers. They tell you they've got the goods. They look like clouds. They look like they hold promise. But there's no nourishment. They don't deliver. Late autumn trees without fruit or whose fruit withers. Jude is referring to autumn trees that should have fruit, but don't. These false teachers, men from whom one would expect the fruitful ministry of the Word, are as devoid of spiritual food for the saints are autumn trees with no fruit, or clouds producing no rain. They act like they've got something to feed you, but if you listen long enough, you walk away and you're not fed at all. You go, where's the beef? Where's the beef? I can tell you, and, and I don't mean to poke at 
Christian television, but there's some people on there that I can listen to them for an hour and you could say, give me a test on what they said. I couldn't tell you what they said. It's just just talking. Like those heads on a mirror. They're just always talking and bobbing around. And, but there's nothing substantive. Twice dead. Bad enough to be once dead, but these people, Jews says, are twice dead. These fruitless trees are described as twice dead. Not only the apparent death of being fruitless in autumn, but a real death so that it only remains to pluck them up by the roots. Not only do they look dead, they are dead. Can you take one more page? Okay. Translation, let's read it. This is the last page. These are the hidden rocks in your fellowship gatherings, sumptuously feasting with you without fear, as shepherds leading themselves to pasture, waterless clouds carried past by winds, autumn trees without fruit, having died twice, rooted up. Man, that makes you want to be a false teacher, doesn't it? (laughs) Verse 13, and we're done for tonight. Let's read it together. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Raging means wild, fierce, untamed. Waves are by nature untamed. Now, I want you to notice how he's describing these people. Man, wild, untamed, raging, foaming out. That means to foam up, to cast out as a foam. These false teachers spew out their heresy from their restless passions. They unblushingly exhibit in word and deed their untamed, carnal, abandoned spirit. Wow. Wandering stars. I think this one gets me more than anything. Perhaps this is a reference to comets that appear brightly for a season and then pass into darkness. Shooting stars. They belong to the ordered system or belong not to the ordered system. They stray from the ordered uh, system at random, and they don't have any law, and must at last be severed from the lights which rule. When that comet, when you see it flash across the sky and then disappear, it's gone into the blackness of space forever. And that's how he's describing these false teachers. They're going to shine for a while, but then they're going to fade, and their message with them. And they're going to fade into the blackness of darkness forever. So let's read the translation and we're done. Wild, untamed sea waves, foaming up their own shames, wandering stars for whom the blackness of the darkness has been reserved forever. Well, Jude, you've done a good job in really nailing these false teachers. Let's stand together, can we? Pastor Jeff, what is the, uh, what's the bottom line with all this? The bottom line is that God cares a whole lot about sound teaching. He cares a whole lot about what you let into your spirit, man, what you listen to, what you feed on. He cares a whole lot about it. This is why cults are very dangerous. Good people who don't know the word well enough will be going through the waters of faith and hit those hidden rocks underneath. And next thing you know, you you hear they went 
and became a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness. I got an email from a Jehovah's Witness a couple of weeks ago who heard me denounce Jehovah's Witnesses on the radio, not the people, but the doctrine. And this well-meaning person said, I couldn't believe that you came against the Jehovah's Witnesses. I listen to you every day, think you're wonderful, and here you come against my, my denomination. And he said, prove to me that it's wrong. So I sent him like two pages. It would have taken him 30 minutes to read it. And he got back with me and said, well, I can see that you're not open to listening. <laughs> and then, and then that was not anything you said was, oh, it's so, you got to know the word or these rocks take you down. Amen? So watch out for the cults. Keep your ear to sound doctrine. Father, we thank you for the sound teaching of the Word, for the Word of God that is the bread of life. And we just pray you'll help us, Lord, to have discernment for those who are among us in the body of Christ, but not of the body of Christ, teaching false doctrine, wolves in sheep's clothing trying to find their way in, hidden rocks who even come to our feasts of fellowship our fellowship meals and our gatherings without fear hoping to share false teaching that will trip us up and shipwreck us help us Lord to be a church wise in your word and we thank you for it in Jesus name amen I don't want to be a false teacher but there's there's some good food out there filled with calories filled with all kinds of stuff and I think there's some fruit too